When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're brought to you today by MeUndies, the world's most comfortable underwear. Get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash Trumpcast. That's M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash Trumpcast. The following podcast contains explicit language. I tell you what, he's a lot more obsessed with me than I am with him. <laughs> if Donald is the nominee, Hillary wins and she wins by double digits. If you're a Hillary supporter, you're rooting for Donald. Obfuscate the real problems facing our society and find somebody you can blame. That's what demagoguery is about. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the purveyor of tasteless and mealy steaks. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So one of the things we've been doing on this show is looking for international and historical analogs to Donald Trump. As his wife Melania says, he's not Hitler. Fair enough, Melania, but that leaves the question. If he's not Hitler, who is he? A few weeks ago, I talked to the Italian journalist Beppe Severnini about all the points of similarity between Trump and Silvio Berlusconi. But there's another comparison that I think may be more apt and even more scary, Vladimir Putin. On today's show, I'll talk about that comparison with Masha Gessen, the Russian-American journalist who's written brilliantly about Putin. But first, let's do the tweets. Crooked Hillary Clinton has zero imagination and even less stamina. ISIS, China, Russia, and all would love for her to be president. Four more years. Hillary Clinton is not qualified to be president because her judgment has been proven to be so bad. Would be four years of stupidity. Goofy Elizabeth Warren has been one of the least effective senators in the entire U.S. Senate. She's done nothing. Amazing that crooked Hillary can do a hit ad on me concerning women when her husband was the worst abuser of women in U.S. political history. I look so forward to debating crooked Hillary Clinton. Democratic primaries are rigged. Email investigation is rigged. So time to get it on. Trumpcast is brought to you today by Me Undies, the world's most comfortable underwear. So I got my sample pairs of Me Undies. I opened them, and my son, who's 15, immediately grabbed them. He said, Dad, those are mine. And you know what I said? Me Undies as Sue Undies. Whether you're wearing a suit or sweats, you spend almost 24 hours a day in your underwear. But instead of making a statement like Superman's tights under his everyday clothes, your underwear is probably boring. Not Me Undies. They're here to change that. Every pair of MeUndies is made from sustainably sourced Modell, a fabric that's twice as soft as cotton. Nothing can really describe the fit and feel of MeUndies, but once you'll try them, you'll understand why they're called the world's most comfortable underwear. 
And if you don't love your first pair of MeUndies, they're free, no questions asked. Shipping's free in the U.S. and Canada, and you can save up to $8 a pair with MeUndies subscription plan. An underwear subscription. How great is that? Get the subscription or a single pair and get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash Trumpcast. That's MeUndies.com slash Trumpcast for 20% off your first order. My guest today is the Russian-American journalist Masha Gessen. She's the author of several books I can recommend, including The Man Without a Face, The Unlikely Rise of Vladimir Putin, which she published in 2012. Masha, welcome to Trumpcast. Thank you. Great to be here. So at the beginning, I thought Donald Trump was Silvio Berlusconi. But more and more, I think he's Vladimir Putin. Do you think that comparison sheds any light on the situation? I think that uh, there are a lot of people like Putin and Trump and Berlusconi out there, you know, overly ambitious, under-talented, under-informed thugs. But what makes them special is that they become politicians. And, you know, one of them is already running one-sixth of the world's landmass, and the other one might be joining him at the top. But I think that's sort of where the comparison actually begins to, to break down, because I think the forces that brought Putin to power and that, that have allowed him to stay in power are quite different from the forces that may, God forbid, bring Trump to power. I guess when I say more Putin than Berlusconi, I'm thinking on the clown-thug continuum. He's moving more towards the thug and away from the clown. Okay, yeah, I'm with you there. (laughs) You say the difference is the circumstances that brought Putin to power versus the circumstances that we're at risk of having Trump bring to power. Talk about what you mean. I mean, you are an expert on Putin's rise. So I I think that what not just brought Putin to power but sort of made him who he is is the fact that Soviet institutions of state and society were never really dismantled. They were largely preserved through the 90s and they were having a resurgence all their own by the time Putin came to power. And he sort of was able to ride that wave, to saddle that resurgence and very much Restore the institutions and rest his power on them. Why is that so different? In both cases, you have a funny kind of nostalgia. I mean, Putin's slogan could have been make Russia great again, right? It wasn't bring back the Soviet Union, but it was it was restore respect to our country, make us treat us with the importance we deserve. Oh, absolutely. I mean, sentiment is similar. I'm talking about institutions. And in particular, the old KGB turned FSB. Absolutely. But also social institutions, sort of the, the habit of, of having everybody turn into an enforcer. Every, every signal that Putin sends out taps into the vast experience that, the, uh, that Russian people have of living under totalitarianism and gets the kind of response that, that, that he's looking for. Uh, censorship is one example. You know, he has never gone so far as to introduce all-out censorship. Even the state takeover of the media, which is what he did very early on, was made possible by the fact that journalists and editors were willing and able, and I think even relieved in many cases, to fall in line as soon as they got the the slightest indication that the state was now in charge. Because the independence had scared them? It had left them insecure? I think so. I think it was uh, it was disorienting. They still weren't sure sort of who they were and what they were doing. I also think that we make a lot of assumptions and we made a lot of assumptions in the 90s about what Russia was going to look like once totalitarianism was, we thought, 
destroyed. And for some reason, we made this assumption that it was going to be a liberal state with all the, in a liberal society with all the implications uh, of liberalism. By we, we, I mean Moscow intellectuals, uh, Western observers, uh, the Western media, we all made that assumption. Russian society didn't necessarily make that assumption. If it was going to go anywhere, it was actually going to go back to pre-liberalism. So I think that, that those forces sort of collided by the end of the 90s. And this Soviet institutional habits and the habits of Soviet institutions were a very comforting place to return to. What you said about the press and the, and the decline of independent media in Russia is a kind of warning for us. Trump, a couple of weeks ago, I saw in an interview, was talking about how he saw the, thought the Washington Post was covering him too aggressively. And he started going off about Jeff Bezos the owner of the Washington Post and essentially threatened an antitrust investigation as a way of responding to coverage he didn't like. Isn't that a Putin tactic? Oh, absolutely. But that's where I think that we really have to start focusing on institutions and understanding what the institutions of democracy are in this country. And fortunately, there are lots of them, and they have been around for a long time, and I think they're strong. Uh, they could probably be stronger, but... Um, that's the really huge difference between Trump and Putin. Sort of the worst case scenario, Trump comes to power. I think we have to really um, ask the question, you know, how much damage is he going to be able to do to institutions in, in, in four years? Yes. And I think he's going to be able to do some damage, but not a whole lot. The thing about Putin is that he came into a situation where all the political power was concentrated in the executive branch. The representative branch, uh, he was able to use a loophole in the, in the constitution to basically turn the parliament into an appointed body within a couple of years. The weakness of the institution is, is part of the, uh, of what he benefited from, but also the fact that it was the, the year 2000 and not 2016. You know, bringing broadcast media, even if we imagine, imagine again, like this horrible scenario where Trump is able to bring broadcasters to heel in this country, that can't make as much of a difference as it, as it made in Russia in the year 2000. So I'm not saying you know that a Trump presidency is a wonderful scenario, but I think that the key difference here is in institutions, and he's not going to be able to do that much damage that fast. Clearly, that's the case, Masha, but I, I wonder still about whether Putin's attack on some of these institutions is a warning about how Trump might be inclined to act in relation to some of them. And particularly, I wonder about the judiciary, which is the last check on power. But how did Putin do it? I mean, how did Putin uh, bring the Russia's independent judiciary to heel? Well, I mean, Russia didn't really have an independent judiciary. Russia was in the process of undertaking judicial reform. I think uh, it's fascinating because I was I actually spent the second half of the 90s covering judicial reform in Russia. And one of the things that were fascinating about it is that nobody was interested. Nobody understood what that was about. Nobody realized how much of a priority it was. And so Putin was able to basically cancel judicial reform and turn the courts into Soviet courts within a few months of coming to power without anybody noticing. Because this was something no one cared about. So he sort of intercepted the move toward a more independent judiciary. And what did that mean? Is that about how judges get appointed? Is that about whether they can be fired? Is that about what sort of the review it's of the subject? It's all of that. Yeah. It's, it's appointments. It's, it's also benefits. Uh, you know, Russia at that point, Russia was just 10 years out of being a, a society with centralized distribution. And a lot of the artifacts of that were still around. They still are around, actually. To give you an example, living space was apportioned 
based on uh, on jobs, right? That was the only way you got an apartment was if you had a particular job that entitled you to a particular kind of apartment. So Putin re- brought back that system for judges. And uh, in a country where living space is at a premium, uh, is always in short supply, basically judges had two options, either to uh, to make money by taking bribes, which they still do, or to sort of uh, demonstrate loyalty to the executive branch and get an apartment. So Putin says Trump is a talented and outstanding personality. And um, Trump said recently that Putin is highly respected in his own country and beyond. Is this just a long distance love affair or did they have some actual relationship? I'm not aware of their having any actual relationship. And uh, th- that quote that uh, the Trump has used of Putin's, it's a little bit less flattering than Trump would like to make it sound. Um, basically, uh, tr- I think Trump said that Putin has called him bright, which uh, which he <laughs> which he sort of did. Uh, he used a word in Russian that mean that can either mean bright or vivid and colorful. I think he, uh, the way he used it was more sort of colorful and flamboyant than uh, than bright. But um, Russia is very much, I mean, the Kremlin is very much invested in seeing Trump become president. I think uh, they feel that they can do business with him. They also are banking on the idea that, that Trump will basically have no foreign policy. And it's interesting what uh, what the Russian propaganda machine has been doing is they've been focusing on broadcasting that news to Ukraine or that analysis to Ukraine. So a lot of the Russian language outlets in Ukraine put much more emphasis on the looming Trump presidency than the Russian language media in, in, in Russia. And one of the th- messages that they keep repeating is that Trump is going to not care about Ukraine. Trump is going to acknowledge that that Ukraine is Russia's internal affair and uh, not the first annexation of another country's land since World War II in Europe. And I think also the, the sort of the stylistic similarities are extremely important and extremely vivid to Russia. I mean, the other thing is that for Putin, a Clinton presidency is inconceivable. Why is that? Mostly because she's a woman. I mean, he really thinks that she's evil incarnate. He blamed her for single-handedly organizing the uh, the protests in 2011, 2012 in Russia. And is it because she is cares about human rights and because she talks about Russia's internal affairs and challenges his, his global ambitions? First of all, he um, he's extremely sensitive to things that are said about him personally. I think that her statement that uh, he has no soul, by definition, because he's from the KGB, I think that stung. Uh, I think it was also accurate. Uh, <laughs> I also, um, I think that uh, seeing her as the Secretary of State having to do business with her was an insult. Because she's a woman. Because she's a woman, yeah. But also he's, um, he really is convinced that protests, whether in Ukraine during the Orange Revolution and uh, the Revolution of Dignity or in Russia during 2011-2012, that those protests have to be instigated by the United States. He really sincerely believes that they're paid for by the CIA or the State Department. And so there they were, these protests, just as he was about to come back into power, clearly instigated by the U.S. State Department, which was headed by a woman who said that he, he had no soul. It all adds up. He takes it all personally. Yes. But it's, it's interesting that um, Trump's appeal to his voters here is that he be a strong advocate of America's interests against its enemies and challengers. But his appeal to the Kremlin is that he'd be very weak in relation to the things they want to push on, on Ukraine, on trying to undermine NATO, 
they don't think Trump would care about that, so it would leave them open field. Right. I mean, uh, frankly, I think that they are wrong about that. Not that I particularly expect Trump to have a good foreign policy or to care about NATO, but I think that uh, – and this is perhaps where similarities between Trump and Putin are actually important. Trump is the kind of potential political leader who is heavily personally invested in sort of mobilizational popularity. And how do you get that but by being aggressive externally? So I think that the idea that he will just not care about the outside world is completely misguided. But the Kremlin is not exactly known for for its sophisticated political and, and foreign policy analysis. Masha, there was a lot of suspicion that the terrorist attacks for the apartment bombings in Moscow and elsewhere in 1999 because they helped Putin win election. There was suspicion that maybe in some way there was something nefarious. He had been involved in some way. But in any case... A lot of people have the same concern about Trump, that a terrorist attack could somehow help him close to the election. Do you worry about that? Well, you're right that uh, there was suspicion. Actually, there's a lot more. It's not just circumstantial evidence that that, that, that these attacks benefited Putin. Uh, there's actual evidence that the FSB, the, the Russian secret police, was involved. But regardless of who organized them, they didn't just help him come to power. They basically created Putin in a way. He had just been appointed prime minister by Yeltsin. He was appointed on August 9th, 1999. And Yeltsin had uh, had, had been going through prime ministers, one after another, looking for a successor, looking for somebody that he could really sort of establish as a strong presence and as the clear replacement. And Putin was just the latest candidacy in a long line. He was appointed prime minister. A few days after that, Terrorist attacks began happening, culminating with two huge apartment building explosions in Moscow in which more than 300 people died and about a 1,000 were injured. And then Putin went on television and said, we're going to go after the terrorists. We're going to hunt them down wherever they are. If we find them in the bathroom, excuse me, but we will wipe them out in the outhouse. And it was this, uh, it, was, it was sort of a new way of speaking in Russia in the 90s. Uh, now it's profoundly familiar. But what was new about it was that there was no talk about bringing them to justice. There was no uh, talk about how we were going to protect our people, right? All the normal things you would sort of expect from politicians and which had been ex- uh, normal in Russia in the 1990s, what he said was, we're going to hunt down the terrorists and wipe them out. No, no, no trial, no jury sort of thing. And that made him incredibly popular. That was apparently what the country had just been waiting for. I, I was recently talking with a sociologist in Moscow who pulled out some of his old charts and he showed me, he said, this is something that you never see. And he showed me this chart on which Putin's popularity rating, it was a vertical line, right? It was hovering around, you know, 20 or 30 percent, and then all of a sudden shot up to 86 percent, which is actually uh, coincidentally what uh, his popularity is na- uh, rating is now. So I think a catastrophic event like that, a sort of a nation-uniting event and an aggressive leader who can, who can saddle it, 
can be incredibly effective if if Americans are at all like Russians. And I think when, when terror strikes, uh, nations tend to be pretty similar to one another. Now, surely they do business the same way, right? I mean, maybe not to the same extent, but the kind of crony capitalism that's practiced in Russia is practiced, has been practiced in, a, I guess you could say, a less violent way by Donald Trump. I mean, he made his real estate fortune in New York by getting political favors and using political connections. And he thinks business and politics are allied in that sense. I mean, I think they're sort of uh, stylistically they're similar. I think structurally they're quite different. Stylistically, they, you know, yes, they think that politics and, and money sort of are served on the same plate. That sort of money is the ultimate arbiter, uh, arbiter of, um, of everything of human behavior, of, of, of justice, uh, of anything you can think of. So that's uh, – those things are similar. I don't actually think that crony capitalism is a very accurate way of, of – uh, I, I know it's common, but I don't think it's an accurate way of describing the system that Putin has built or the, even the way that business is done in Russia. I think that a much more po- uh, accurate description is mafia state. And there's a, there's a wonderful Hungarian political scientist, Balint Magyar, who's written a book called The Mafia State, which uh, one of the things he says in this book is that the major difference between the term crony capitalism and the term mafia state is that crony capitalism implies voluntary associations, right? It implies that you can sort of enter into this relationship and exit the relationship when you wish, right? There, It's a two-way street. It may be an unequal relationship, but there are two partners who enter and exit. Mafia, The mafia doesn't do that. The mafia functions as a family. You can be born into the family. You can be adopted in the, into the family, but you can't leave the family voluntarily. As uh, several uh, London-based oligarchs have found out. Exactly. So, but, you know, one of the things that has surprised me about this campaign, Masha, is I thought Putin was enough of a synonym for international villainy that Trump's embrace of him would be seen as totally over the line and would actually hurt him. As far as I can tell, it hasn't made much difference. Um, that's a great point. Early on I, 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 in his campaign, I would be talking to to, friend, to American friends and they would just sort of say, it's impossible. You know, there's no way he could get the Republican nomination. It's impossible. And why is it impossible? Well, because it's impossible. And it reminded me very strongly of what we used to say in 1999 in Russia, that this guy could not possibly become president of Russia for no other reason than that basically we couldn't imagine it. But really, if anything, the experience of, of seeing Putin come to power and stay in power for going in uh, 17 years now should teach us that we should develop more of a catastrophic imagination. Masha, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. My producer, Henry Milovsky, likes his Trump steak well done to kill the germs. Jason DeLeon says chimichurri sauce helps kill the taste. Executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Lichtai, says it's better if you grind it up for Trump tartare with a raw Trump egg from a Trump chicken on top. Chief Content Officer Andy Bowers, he doesn't eat that stuff. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Thank you at Billy Joel. Many friends just told me you gave a very kind shout out at MSG. Appreciate it. Love your music.